Hello, and welcome to the Terralex Insights Podcast, where our goal is to present multicultural perspectives by leading professionals. These perspectives on contemporary issues will help lawyers and business people work better together. I'm your host, Terry Pepper Gavlik, Terralex's Chief Executive Officer. And today we're talking to Ricky Braswell, President and CEO of Beyond Coaching, and also, I should add, one of the faculty of Terralex's leadership training program. So we're delighted that you're able to join us as a guest on the program. Thank you for being here today, Ricky. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Great. So I, I was going to write uh, a lengthier introduction, and I thought, you know what, you can do more justice to your origin story than I probably can. So tell us a little bit about what Beyond Coaching is and your how you got into this line of work and actually what you do. Thanks for asking. Um, so I, I really have struggled the beginning when I started this company to define what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. So I'll start with the why I did it. Um, with a history and background as a CEO for nonprofits, I found that I was hired when a nonprofit was in trouble and I was supposed to come in to turn them around. And uh, there was a tremendous amount of work that went into that. Part of the work is restructuring the company, meaning structuring their finances, what are their key offerings, how are they engaging with their constituents, um, and growth opportunities. The other part, which I maybe took a little for granted, was how do I structure our leadership? And so um, I found that there was, you know, the buzzword culture, but I found that there was a common theme of um, some real pitfalls in the culture of the organization. So we needed to kind of start from the ground up, not just with our money, but also with our culture. So after doing that a couple of times and uh, spending years and a considerable <laughs> amount of time and energy on turning around an organization, I thought, hmm, what can I do so that I could work with multiple organizations at the same time? Because I'm not going to live long enough to change every organization. So I had a twofold approach. One of them was, can I help organizations that are running smoothly already, that are good organizations, can I help them break through the ceiling of going from a good organization to a great organization? Mm, that's interesting. And, and so, cause I, I had experience as a CEO in my own career, different times where I felt like I was plateauing with my organization and I could, I just simply couldn't see the path to get from what we had already achieved that made us good to kind of that next level. And then the other part for me was how can I help an organization avoid the pitfalls that I had seen that would take them from a good organization to a failing or lagging organization. So those were the type of things that inspired me. And then it was a matter of how do I do that? So I uh, jumped in, I um, took a postgraduate course at the University of Miami and um, which my background is I graduated from Florida State University. So I, rivalry. I, yeah, I, did <laughs> I graduated rivalry. from the other big player in that uh, trifecta, <laughs> yeah, the University yes. of Florida. <laughs> I mean, Florida, you have to go to one of those schools. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I took a, a postgraduate course in coaching from the University of Miami, an internationally certified course, and just to hone the skills and, um, and decided that coaching would be the underlying factor for my business rather than consulting. And the big difference is, is consulting is directive. So a consultant comes in and tells you the things that you need to do. Coaching is collaborative. 
Um, I want to come in, I want to assess the things that the organization has, I want to collaboratively create this strategy for the organization. So hence launched my company, which is really strategy and leadership coaching. Makes total sense. And in fact, you know, collaboration is one of our favorite words at Terralex. So uh, that resonates <laughs> with us quite well. So you and I have had a chance to talk and also, um, you know, as we've um, prepped for the leadership program and also you've worked with some of our Terralex team. Um, I, I, we've talked about the fact that in order to execute strategy, it's, you, it's easy enough to have sort of an aspirational strategy or to figure out, a, well, not easy enough, but you can figure out a strategy. It really, when you have to execute that strategy is where it comes into some difficulties and it really takes effective leadership. So let's, let's hear a little bit more about that. And I know that that leadership to uh, lead strategy is a problem in every organization. Actually, I've seen it quite a lot in law firms, though, you know, during my consulting career as well. So how, how do you how do you overcome the leadership uh, void or get leadership to be able to effectively implement strategy? So I, the where we normally start is is we start on the strategy side. So obviously, the very first thing that we that we talk about is you know, do we have a plan of action? Um, have we created a strategy um, that that helps to identify really where the company wants to go? And this really sounds silly, but I'm going to spend a second on the strategy side. I find that most organizations, not, not most that, that I work with, many, I should say, many organizations begin with a strategy and it's simply, this is what we want to do. And they really don't dig into um, why do you want to do that? What do you think the expected outcome is going to be? And what are the paths to get there? So it's something like um, we want to grow our market share by 10%. And, and then when we really work and, and I kind of test the strategy, and that's a goal that's out there then what are our strategies to get there? Have we really defined what our marketplace is? Have we defined, is that actually the segment of the marketplace that provides the best return for us? Um, so some of those things, I like to just kind of uh, test that. So that's the, the first thing. Um, but a long-term strategy for success not only requires uh, a clear goal, but also really, frankly, requires clear market position. And a lot of companies aren't doing that. And then a roadmap for implementing those key activities, which kind of drive success. But it also includes improving the skills of the leader all the way up to the CEO. And by that, I mean that I find that most of the time in leadership positions, there's a couple of assumptions that come into play. The first assumption is that the leader has the necessary skills. And the second assumption is that the leader understands the mission and how to get there and can effectively communicate that to others. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you um, a question uh, and we'll come back to how the leadership, what, you know, what leadership skills are and how you get to that. But I remember we used to have this great uh, little diagram when I was consulting, but it's rung true in every organization I've ever seen. So when you're trying to um, implement a strategy or a direction for your company, there's going to always be, you know, sort of on one side of the continuum, people that are innovative, gung-ho, ready to 
charge forward with it. On the far side, there's going to be people that don't want change. Don't touch me. I'm working fine. Everything's going well. And then there's that group in the middle that if you don't figure out how to attract them, they could go in either direction. Which of those kind of three buckets would you say a leader should focus most of their time and attention on? Or is it an equal distribution? Yeah, I actually, um, you know, I actually think that you have to make sure that you that you have clear communication, which which everybody gets the same opportunity to hear. Um, so I hear two different things. I have a theory of thirds, which is about performance level, and it's less about style. So in terms of performance level, I'm, and I'm going to pretend like your question is addressed to performance level. Mm-hmm. So in terms of performance level, of course it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of performance level, you have those high achievers, the people who they may ask a lot of questions, they may not love change, but so that you have to prove it to them a little bit. Um, and that's just a style thing, but they are consistently high achievers. They are consistently the people who will carry the ball across the finish line. They are consistently the people who their biggest frustration point is getting in the way of, of their growth or getting in the way of their department's, you know, benchmark. And then you definitely have the center ones that kind of seem ambivalent can go either way. And then you have the bottom ones that you are forever pulling up the hill. Um, and there's just enough sort of friction there for them, for you to have to kind of always work to get them to go where you want them to go. Um, and it's not a style issue. It's a performance issue. Uh, and we tend to, you know, we tend to, we tend to put a lot of time and effort into that bottom third. So I would say for every leader, completely manage to your top third, completely take your people who even if their style is to ask why, even if their style is to question how, if they are consistently high achievers, put all of your management focus to them because your middle third will begin to perform to that level if you manage to that level and you reward that level, frankly. Yeah, it's music to my ears. I totally agree with you. And I think that... um, You'll, you'll, what's that rising tide rises all boats. Yeah, all the, all boats yeah. And, but if the bottom third, uh, especially in a law firm, because that bottom third are equal owners in many cases to the middle third and the high achieving thirds. But, and so there's this feeling that you have to have some kind of evenness across it, but it doesn't do the organization any good. So I, mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that. I think that's exactly right. Um, let's talk about what we touched on a little bit ago, which is how leadership can actually be developed in organizations and maybe some practical advice for our, our, our audience, which as you know, cause you've met, you know, some folks from our membership firms, there's a real appetite to groom up and coming leaders. And so you can start people off, right. But there's a lot of people that have been thrust into leadership situations. Um, we always talk about, for example, a practice group leader who might be a subject matter expert, but have no leadership skills whatsoever, but is, deemed the leader of really one of the, uh, you know, maybe perhaps a, a really important department within an organization, within a law firm, particularly, how do you, what, what kind of good advice do you have for people sure. who need to develop leaders? So I, I think one of the biggest challenges for me is that I always would love to seem like I have this great guru stuff and it's very complicated and I'm going to bring this magical pill. But the fact is, is that it's really not very complicated. 
the difficulty is that nobody appreciates the teaching of it. And we don't really recognize leadership as a skill that has to be supported by habits that we develop. And so a lot of the advice that I give and a lot of when I'm collaborating with a client and I'm stepping through and, and creating leadership training is really fundamental stuff. And I'm working with a, a client right now with a, a fairly large organization, almost 300 team members. And um, we are on this really fun journey. It's about a year long, but we have management training, director training, and then their C-suite. And so we do the exact same training for all three levels. It's just how they hear it and the things that they have to do to adapt or adopt are different because of their roles. But so we start with some really, I think, fundamental things that that we take for granted. So the number one thing with leadership that we take for granted is communication. And what I find is that the leader either, if you're at the very top, the leader either fails to ask themselves certain questions, or if you're in the middle, the leader fails to ask those questions of their boss and therefore they don't have the answers and they don't have the ability to communicate to their team. So give you some examples of this. Um, the number one thing in a meeting is we talk about what. We spend a lot of time talking about what we're going to do. We are going to grow this particular area. We are going to restructure this particular department. Uh, we talk about what. Uh, we are going to assign Terry to be the lead of this team. The question we fail to ask is what are we trying to achieve? So as a CEO, we sometimes fail to ask that. What are we trying to achieve? Sometimes it's as simple as this doesn't feel like it's working for us. And so we need to make a change here. But we are so conditioned to make decisions on the fly and as we're moving that we don't often take the time to just settle down and ask that. So if I were to start with an organization, there's a couple of places I start. The first thing is is just that, you know, what are we trying to achieve? Why? Meaning, is there a pain point or a pleasure point that has caused us to have this conversation and to get to this? Uh, how do we plan to get there? That's the basic strategy. Um, what is my individual role in this and or my department's role? This is especially important as we're trying to groom leaders because they need to understand what their role or their department's role is in the bigger picture. And they often don't, it hasn't been pointed out to them. So they either overemphasize or underemphasize most of the time the latter, what their role is. And then where can I obtain resources? Um, what happens if I get stuck? Those are all the kinds of things. How is the communication expected from me? How am I expected to report in? On what kinds of um, timelines am I expected to do this? When is this project supposed to start? When is this project supposed to end? I, it sounds fundamental, right? It does, but it's, <laughs> it is an interesting challenge. I, um, I find myself in that challenge with a twist to it, which is when you already have something in place, you've been doing a project a certain way, or you, you, know, you have a process in place, and then you stop part way and go back and say, wait a minute, what is it that we're trying to achieve? And are we still doing the right path towards that achievement? I know that's a particular challenge I find as a leader. So I call that the audit. 
So the project audit, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up because the longer that we have been a leader of a particular area. So if you've been a CEO at your organization for 10 years, or you've been a director for 15 years or whatever it is, the longer that you've been in that position and the more times you have, you have been responsible for a certain project or projects that are like that, the less likely we are to pay attention to the questions that I asked, the more that we assume we know. So I love, uh, one of the leadership skills I love to do is I love to have, make sure that leaders know that their job is to assemble the team and delegate the work. So one of the things that I like to do is assign an auditor to my team. And that auditor's job is to ask those questions. Love that. And, and so that's their thing is at the very beginning, if they're listening for those questions, they're my scribe. And if they don't hear me as I'm dumping the project, if they don't hear me answer all those questions, they say, hey, time out. Before we move on, Ricky, here are the three or five key questions we, I, don't, I didn't hear. Um, or if we're, if we're approaching the, the project again, and it's a cyclical project, annually, quarterly, whatever, they make sure that you know, we say, hey, we just need to do a quick audit. It's been a couple of years. Um, let me just make sure that we're going through, are we all on the same page with this? Those are the fundamental ingredients of a cohesive, collaborative, well-run team. The leader thinks they have to do all of that. My favorite thing is to delegate that audit piece. I love that. And also, I think it speaks to one of my hard-learned <laughs> leadership skills that I see in a lot of people is a leader has to have a level of resilience and thick skinness to allow someone to say to them, hey, wait, you didn't think about this or you forgot to mention this or what about that and accept that without feeling attacked. Yeah. I So what I what I'm... There's all these fallacies of leadership. Is that's what I think. So I think one of the fallacies of leadership, and I like to get into this, especially the higher up in an organization that I'm working, is to determine, you know, what is our ideal that we brought with us. As a matter of fact, um, we just wrote a blog on this because this really came to me this year. Is my ideal of success versus the ideal that I was raised with, and then what's your ideal of leadership? versus, you know, and how much of that is something that you were raised with versus what works for you. And so I'll throw this out. I think one of the ideals of leadership is that the leader has all of the answers, can make very quick decisions on the fly, um, and can and is proficient at all of the tasks associated with the with you know, with what you want to get achieved. Well, I would never have been a leader if that was the case. <laughs> um, you know, I don't have all the answers. What I learned, and I, and I would invite your audience to push back on this, but what I have learned for myself and what I have learned when I work with my clients is the most effective leaders do not have all the answers. What they have is developed the skill to ask very well-timed, questions. And they are not afraid to ask the question. They are not afraid to say, Terry, I don't know a whole bunch about that. What do you know about that? Or where can we get that question answered? Yeah. And to literally invite the team into that conversation and to sit back, hire well, and then let your team take the ball. That, that's, that is a habit 
that I try to work to have my leaders develop. True word, truer words uh, have rarely been spoken. Um, let's talk about the expectations though on a leader. I think when, and I kind of touched on it before with the practice group leader example, who's you know a subject matter expert and gets put in this leadership position. And is there, there's an expectation that once you become a leader, somehow your whole cloth a leader and that it's not an incremental learning and how much patience or support should an organization put towards grooming and developing a leader? Do you do it before they're the leader or do you do it once they're in the leadership role or both? Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I again, I, there's some philosophy that goes into my own company and what I try to bring to my own clients. And one of them is that I believe that you lead from every position in the organization. Uh, if, if I had my druthers, organizations would provide leadership opportunities at every single level. And I literally mean that. Um, there's no such thing to me as, you know, a, a job that's too small or else they wouldn't, you wouldn't have them in your organization. So I, um, I decided when I was starting my career that I could be the CEO of my five feet of desk when I got my very first job. And that is the philosophy and the attitude that I would like every person on my team to be able to have. So in order to do that, I think the leadership development needs to start with really clearly defining what somebody's authority and responsibility is. And I don't know that we do that really well. I mean, we have position descriptions, which are largely task-based, mm -hmm. um, but we really don't talk about independent thinking, critical thinking, things like that. So uh, to answer your question more directly, the fact is, is that we are where we are. So if we have created a leader, uh, honestly, if we have promoted somebody into a position where they are now a leader. And sometimes that leadership isn't running a team. Sometimes it's running a project or, or a, you're the sole person in the department. But I think that the skills are largely um, the same. You know, how do you get from technically you were very good to now you're anointed into this leadership position? Uh, and I work with this a lot because I work with also in medical. Mm -hmm. So people who are highly skilled in medical often, you know, amazing nurse often becomes the leader of the team of 12 nurses. Uh, and somehow or another, now she has all these wonderful skills or, or he is now the best leader in the entire world. The, the point A to point B for that, I do think has to be developed. Some of the, the um, ways to develop that are, and we did this actually um, when I worked with you all, um, in, in your own leadership growth um, uh, platform is the number one thing is getting to learn your own style. Mm -hmm. So I like to start with communication styles, really simple, fun little way that I can work with a leader, but also we take it into the teams. I have never worked with a single individual who hasn't asked, like, can we take this into my team? And that's simply how, what is your processing and communication style? There's not a wrong one, there's not a right one, but the, when the leader learns that about themselves, they can kind of learn to lean into that style and what works what the strength of that style is also to be a little bit more aware of where their blind spots might be. Um, I think that's incredibly important for every leader. And then how do you develop your communication within your team? What are the kinds of things that make you impatient? What are the kinds of things that um, you're super patient with? Uh, you know, how quickly, what are ambiguity tricks for you? Where do you get, um, where do you lose patience? What do you need 
in order to support good decision making. So I do think that leaders have to be developed. Um, and I do think that it has to be a, a very clear pathway for them. Um, and I think the starting spot is telling them that we didn't, because we gave you this job description and this title today, doesn't mean that we think that you have all the skills necessary and we're willing to support that. Um, but also being really clear about what is the expectation that the of the skills that leader will be able to exhibit and when. Yeah, and I would say that using um, the style differences and the assessment that you did with our cohort in our leadership training program really, really resonated with the group because it, it did show them where they can appreciate the differences with the people that they work with or manage or lead versus where they can celebrate the similarities. We, we started little support groups forming of people that were of a certain, you know, communication style, finding alignment or affiliation with others in the cohort with the same, so they could share experiences of how to, you know, work with the differences with others in their organizations. It was really fascinating to watch. And, and, um, and I highly recommend that a leader does that kind of, or, or asks for that kind of um, reflection and self-assessment working with a coach or someone so that, you know, that that's really where you can start to, to see where you have to go and how you have to lead other people. Other kinds of practical advice or tips for uh, organizations that are either developing, grooming, or promoting leadership leaders? Yeah, I, I would ask also that the, that the organization be very honest about what their own culture is. And, and by that, I mean, um, where are the hard starts and stops? And so what is the organization's tolerance for um, making a mistake? What is the tolerance for taking risk? Um, how much autonomy does that leader have? And I, and I, I already mentioned this, but I'll go back to it. Those very simple questions that I asked, I find that I, I do work a lot with C-suites to say, let's make sure we're asking these questions every time we assign. And the assign would be this new role or the assign would be a new project. And very specifically, who makes the ultimate decision in this? Who do they report to? When do they need to check in? Um, how do they need to check in? What authority do they have on their own without checking in? You know, where can they go get more information? These are really simple questions, but I find that even as we promote leaders, we don't tell them those things. Yeah, say, and I that's so powerful. I hope our listeners really paid attention to that because otherwise you're pushing, you're, you feel like you're pushing uh, boundaries with a real uncertainty and it, it probably impacts, you know, decisions you might make. That's a great point. Or, and I'll tell you, cause you, because you understand the styles, it's interesting. So for me, with my style, I like to, I like to give somebody something and then I like to give them a tremendous amount of space for that, which means that they have to, to instigate the checking in. Unless I preset it up, I think you're good to go unless you tell me otherwise. So some people, especially early on in my career, when I realized that that was a style issue, some people who were highly analytic would come back and say, you abandoned me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I didn't, I gave you freedom because that's what I would have wanted. 
So what I had to create was a culture where I acknowledged that my style was different. And I said to the other person, this is my style, give you a ton of space, basically anything within these parameters, meaning if, if you can get it done in this time frame and to this budget and you get this objective, how you get it done, I don't care. So there's your listeners or some of your listeners that are coming back and going, absolutely perfect. <laughs> there's other listeners are going, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. There's they're breaking out thinking, there. oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> yes. So that's, those are the types of things that again, if you kind of have a checklist and you say, are we, are we touching on these things? Does the leader know? Because when it comes to style, if I have somebody who comes back and asks me along the road you know, a billion trillion questions, I kind of think maybe this person's not ready for this. Really what it is, is maybe I didn't take the time with them that I needed to clarify that in the very beginning. And I'm going to make another point about this. And I want to be really clear because I feel strongly about this is if you give somebody the responsibility of being the leader of a department, the responsibility of being the leader of a project. And so they are responsible for the ultimate in outcome but you haven't given them the authority to make the decisions or the tools, then really you have imprisoned them. And we do that all the time. Mm -hmm. So we give them very clear responsibility. This has to be done by this date. You go, you're responsible for this with your department, but we haven't given them the authority to make the decisions that need to be made, including you know, parameters on that. Can they hire? Can they fire? Do they have budget at their disposal? Do they, can they make changes within how it's done? Um, they need the authority to make, they need to know very clearly what their authority is and they need the, the authority to make those decisions. And then um, they need the tools. You know, is, are you handcuffing that person to something or do they have the flexibility to do that? And I would add one component to that, which is they not only need to, to be to be clear about what their authority is, but the people that report to them need to understand what their authority is too. So there's not, you know, going over their head, going around them, end runs, disrespecting their decisions or things like that. I've seen that a lot in organizations. So I love that you said that because I didn't touch on something. Transparency of this. So all the questions that I asked, I like those questions to come out. The reason I like the auditor is I like those questions to come out in a group setting. Of course, after I've met with my leader one-on-one, -on -one, because I like things to be transparent. Ambiguity on every level is uncomfortable. No one, I've yet to meet a single human being that is comfortable with all the areas of ambiguity. So transparency is incredibly important because the team needs to also understand all of those things too. Do I go to my boss? Do I go to my boss's boss? They need to be able to have those same questions answered, which is why I said why those questions are so important because each level has to make sure that they, they know the answer to those questions and that they're consistent and that their team knows that as well. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up because I think we talk about transparency in the concept of like being trustworthy and, and things like that. But I think transparency in terms of expectations is incredibly important. You, you just get less friction like that. Absolutely. Um, it makes leadership a little more enjoyable. <laughs> I'd like to ask you a question sure. and, and see if this comes up. So in, I will tell you communication, those types of things that I just spoke about are really 
probably the number one thing and um, style and then you know, developing leadership skills. And I like to use clarification, communication, those kinds of questions, um, the audit process I like to use for that. Um, I find that the next big thing that comes up are things like accountability, uh, like specifically accountability, not things like accountability. Accountability is one of the biggest conversations that I have with leadership in every level. And it's how do I hold the team accountable? And the other thing is um, when things aren't going well, how do I address them? So I, I think those things are hand in hand. And one of the things that I like to go through with all of my leaders is creating a, a platform for success there around accountability by how do you do your check-ins with your team? Are they one-on-one -on -one or are they with the team? And then what do you do specifically in those check-ins to empower the team members? And, and so that you are setting yourself up as the leader to be the person that asks questions, but the team individually and collectively understand that they are responsible for doing the work. They are responsible for the actions that it takes to get something from point A to point B. So our accountability conversations is I have a series of questions that I usually ask team leaders to ask their team members, either one-on-one -on -one or in, in groups that convey that those people are holding the tasks and that it is up to them to create plans, to identify uh, resources and to manage their time in a certain way. And it's probably too long to go into right now, but it is a training that I do for every one of my leaders, um, which, which honestly helps them change their mindset from I have to get all this done to I have to manage my team who's ultimately responsible for getting all of this done. Because as a leader, I too have my own tasks mm -hmm. that are dependent completely on me. Yep. No, I totally agree with that. And you have to sometimes stop yourself and say, should I be doing this or should I be facilitating someone doing this? Because it is easy to, you know, just take on, bite off more than you should be chewing. My, my, the quote that I use all the time that I tell people is your job isn't to do it all. Your job is to ensure that it all gets done. Exactly. Yeah. As the leader, that's their job. Totally agree. Well, I'm so happy that you've agreed to be a uh, faculty on our 2022 leadership training program again. So our next cohort will get a chance to work with you. But for those of our members and audience that may not have that opportunity, how can they find you or where can they find you if they want more information? What's your website? My website is www.transitionbeyond.com. Transitionbeyond.com. And I know you have lots of resources there. And so uh, we recommend our listeners to that. We'll put it in the liner notes, in fact. And um, also certainly anyone listening could reach out to any member of our team and we could connect you as well, because I think that, um, I've done a lot of work with law firms in the, in the whole uh, leadership area, and there is a lot of work to be done. It's really interesting when you have a partnership and people who work generally autonomous, uh, much as there's, a you know, people try to work in teams and groups, really the work they do is very autonomous. So uh, I think there's a lot of need for your services. <laughs> 
hopefully um, people will look you up. Thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Terralex Insights. We really appreciate it and look forward to working with you again. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.